Hey, Senda. Hey, Phil. I got two questions from JT. You want to talk about dice rolling or kicking people out of the group? Mm, both. Ooh, both. a twofer. Yeah, both is good. Twofer it is. Cue music. Welcome to another fine episode of Panda's Talking Games. I am your host who occasionally rolls behind a screen when I feel like it makes sense, Phil. And I'm your other host, Senda. I, I'm, I'm trying to remember the last game I ran that required me as the GM to roll dice. I'm just really honestly trying to remember that. Uh... Never mind. Let's jump into our topic. <laughs> um, I'll kick it to you for the topic, for the questions in a second. But um, a, uh, what you call it? Our friend JT Evans, author, game designer, and fellow gnome had a couple questions for us. And they didn't feel like they were enough for their own episodes. So I bundled two of them together. And that's what we got. So Senda, what's JT's first question? Yeah. When do you roll the dice behind the screen? When do you roll the dice in the open? What are the advantages and disadvantages of both approaches? And do you switch it up depending on the situation? I got a lot of feelings about this, actually. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, it's actually weird that I, I have feelings about it, but maybe not as strongly as you do. Because as I said, I think the vast majority of games that I run do not actually have a GM role mechanic, right? which is sort of interesting, right? So I think, firstly, let's just say uh, this is a GM-centric question. Um, it would be a little strange and under most circumstances if your players were rolling behind something. By convention, right, since the, since the dawn of this hobby, players have always rolled in the open. And depending on whether you have a GM screen or not, uh, you, you know, play GMs roll in the um, behind the screen, in the open, uh, that kind of thing. We talked a little bit about this uh, last week when we were talking about GMPCs, where I always made my GMPC roll outside the screen, but my own personal rolls for the game were made behind the screen. We're actually, gonna, we'll talk a little bit about that and why that might be. Um, I just recently came off of a game, a year-long game, where I did have a GM screen. I don't always have a GM screen for my games. Uh, but in the case of Knights Black Agents, I'd actually purchased the GM screen at some point when I was amassing all the parts of the game. So I was like, cool, I'm going to use the screen. Not for any reason to hide my roles, but it conveniently had on the inside all the tables the I needed. Sheet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it had the things I needed inside to like, you know, manage the game. Uh, and the venue I play in is large enough where I can put out a GM screen and the players still have like a pretty big table to themselves. Yeah, so that makes a difference. So too. I rolled behind the screen for that. But like, I, I didn't have a preference. Like if I didn't have if I didn't physically own the GM screen, I would have just rolled out in the open. Like, it was fine. Yeah. I mean, it, th this question borders on also, do you use a GM screen? Yeah. Um, yeah. Right? Because that is that is sort of a whole other thing. Because I definitely am not so much a GM screen kind of gal when I'm running games at all. But so let's jump, just like actually jump into this. But before we do, Definition Panda. Sure, sure. Will you give me some clarified 
terms. Yeah, let's just let's clarify. Um, let's clarify talking about rolling as open and closed, right? Open being like out in the open where the players can see it and closed being behind some sort of screen or other barrier or something uh, that players can't see, right? So open rolls are visible to all the players and closed rolls are obfuscated, only seen by the GM. Now, yes. there are two cases that I could think of. People might come up with other ones, but there are two main reasons I thought of why a GM may want to hide a role. So the first one is you want to hide the role from the players, such as something like a passive perception check, uh, wandering encounter role, uh, the, those kinds of things, like the kind of things that uh, may surprise players. We'll talk about it a little bit more in a second. But those kinds of things, you just don't want them to see the outcome of that role yet. Um, the other one is you want to fudge the die roll. Yeah. No one can see it. So no one so, knows what you actually got. Um, yep. <laughs> and by fudge the die roll to be 100% clear means to discard the result provided by the randomizer in favor of one made up by the GM. Yes. I don't care which method you take to do it, add bonuses, ignore the roll, nudge it, whatever. But ultimately, you are discarding the outcome of the randomizer, i.e. the dice and the associated bonuses that go with the dice in favor of your own choice. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Let's go back to that first case where we're hiding results from players, right? I definitely do this depending on the game. Um, and it's designed to help the players uh, suspend disbelief, prevent them from being exposed to meta knowledge. Um, it's like these are things like detect traps. Um the like I said, passive uh, perception checks, wandering monster, um, you know, roles and things like that. The kind of thing that, if you know the role, that um, can you not telegraph what your characters do? Yeah, this is it's not quite an exact matchup, um, and it's a really old comic at this point. So, if I can find it, I'll put it in the show notes. But there's a really old Order of the Stick comic where um, half the party is going down a hallway and there's a, a perception check. It's not passive, so the players do, in fact, roll it. So it's a little bit different scenario, but to, to illustrate this, you know, idea, right? Um, and they roll some really low number, like a two or something. And so they're just like, run! And they start running the other way down the passage and they encounter the rest of the party who's like, why are you running? And they're like, we don't know, <laughs> right? Yeah. But they know there's something to run from because there was a, perception check called for yeah, so this absolutely. is and you you get into that thing where like um you see the gm roll a die yeah and you're like well obviously something is happening right and sometimes gms you know uh sometimes gms fuck with players roll a oh, die yeah. for no reason just roll dice for no but but yeah. you do that because the sound of a die rolling is distinctive that you can't see that you yeah. can't see right well whether you can see it or not the gm rolling a die has an implication that there's a, a, a question that needs a random answer um so you know so I, I will tell you a kind of weird thing i did um along these same lines many many years ago so back in the late 90s i was running conspiracy x uh and it's a investigation game where, you know, you roll dice to find clues and stuff like that. And my players were having a problem with meta rolls, like meta knowledge of like, oh, I totally failed that role. So I'm just going to ignore the clue that you give me. 
right? So what I wound up doing was at the start of the game, I would have them roll like 20 times. Oh, man. On a... um, on a sheet of paper, 20 times, 12 times, I think, maybe 12 times. And then what I would do is, because it was a 2D6 game, then yeah. on their turn, when I needed them to make like a, a check where something like an investigation check, not a combat roll or anything like yeah, that, yeah, yeah. but something like an investigation check, I'd have them roll. And um, then I would use the value that they had rolled and written down. Um and use that and then to really fuck with them because they, you know, would try to memorize where their roles were. Sure. I would, in my head, I would assign like a minus two, like right. to all roles for the entire game. Yeah. Like it was, it was stupid. We were it, it's in a our lot early twenties. It's a lot of work. <laughs> there are better ways to handle it. Um, yeah. There more there mature, better, more mature players. players. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There are better players now. More mature <laughs> players can handle that. But that first case is all about uh, helping the characters with meta knowledge creeping into the game. Now, disciplined players can handle this with no problem. Yeah. Uh, I remember years later, the same one of the same players in that group, years later, in a dungeon, uh, in the dark, making a perception check to find a gelatinous cube that they were sure was down the hallway of this dark um, dungeon, failing the role and being like, well, I guess I'm going forward. Like I failed the roll. I think everything's fine. It's I'm fine. going forward. Take and in 10 feet, yep. walked right into. Walk. Yeah. So th- it, it like players can absolutely operate um, without it. But that first reason is just you're taking uh, it off of them or, you know, maybe I'm making a, you know, uh, wandering encounter roll. And I just like now I got to like make a roll and look at something, whatever. Mm-hmm. OK, um, I think that's um, I think that's a perfectly valid reason if you have a gm screen it's a perfectly valid reason perfectly valid reason to roll behind there are certainly games um that really you know can lean on that sure um and and you know if you you talk about a dnd for example right um that because it is rolling to see if your character has knowledge or not like that's that's a it's a hard thing sometimes for players to um, be like, well, I know this, I know this, but my player doesn't. Um, so it, it is an assistance with the division of yeah. information. All right. Let's get to the second case. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Wait, I had, <laughs> well, I left myself a note. More. I had one more reason about hiding sure. roles. Sure. All right. I did this once in a game and it worked out really well. And I don't always remember to like do these things again in other games, but right. I was playing this game, Corporation. And sure. one of the players was like, I want to, um, I forget what it was. They wanted to do something with the bomb that they were building. They wanted it to go off a certain way um, to get a certain effect. And then like, you know, like, and then, ha- you know, like set it up. Like they wanted to build it for a certain effect, place it somewhere and then have it blow up and, you know, do what it was supposed to do. Sure. So I said to the player, I'm like, cool, that's fine. It's going to require a demolition roll. And they were getting ready to make it. I said, wait, wait, wait. And I handed him a dice cup. And I'm like, I'm like, roll the dice, slam the cup on the table we're and not then leave it. it. Yeah. <laughs> like, because a That's whole bunch of cool. stuff has to happen before you detonate the bomb. Yes. And there's no way to know 
if the bomb was wired correctly or not. Until it goes off. Until it goes off. So I'm like, just roll the die under the cup, leave it. Yeah. So the so they did, right? They rolled it, they put it under, and then they went through the rest of the like setup for the mission and they got to the point where they're like, "Okay, I detonate the bomb." And I'm like, "Uncover Lift the dice." The cup. Yeah. Like, let's see if it worked or not. And it did. But it was a cool awesome. moment where the player like pulled the cup off and it, it was, was like, like a high roll and we were like, yeah. "Yes." Like <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um That's so neat. I mean, that's neat and it's also interesting because it's a perspective of when you might as a player hide the dice, but you know, yeah, mm. still a GM request to do so. Well, and so my feeling about it was right, was that if we had made the roll right there yeah, and the player knew they failed, they might change how they change approach plans. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And if they had made it, they could have made it during yeah, the you could moment. Have, you could have waited to actually roll Correct. until I could the deferred. bomb detonated. But I don't know. But it's kind of fun because you you did the roll when they took the action and then you discovered the results when they discovered the results, right? That's Plus what it you were doing. sat on the fucking table. Oh man, the it was just there. Time, right? Yeah. Like it just sat, like everybody See, looked at it like, great. well, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe the bomb's going to work. <laughs> maybe, maybe it it's won't. not. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. It was, a cool, it was a cool tension building thing. Yeah. It sounds right. like a really cool tension building thing. Let's talk about the second case. The yep. third rail of RPG discourse. <laughs> yeah. Comes up a lot. Comes up a lot. People yep. get really passionate about it. Yep. Fudging is often done when the GM thinks or feels that a different outcome is better for the story than the one that the randomizer produced. Yep. I got some feelings about yeah, this. Yeah, you do. Do you want to start with your feelings? Because I feel like your feelings are are well laid out and thought through and mine are less so and will probably just happen ad hoc in response to your feelings. I'm happy to, I'm happy to do so. Good. Okay. Um, here's my thing about fudging. I totally have done it, done it a lot through my 40 year tenure as a GM. Um, I do it most of the time in games where the players do not have a mechanic or process for adjusting the outcome of their roles. And what I mean by that is something like fate points, um, a cipher experience point, plot points in Cortex, luck points in DCC, luck points in Cyberpunk um, 20 Red, I think all of them. If the player characters have a way to influence a die roll, especially after the fact, I hate before, but especially after the fact, then it's on them if they want to die roll to fail. Yeah. Right. So if they roll a critical moment in the game and it comes up and it's a failure and they have a way to re-roll or gain a bonus or roll an extra die, whatever, whatever, and they choose not to take it, I'm absolved from like as a GM, I am absolved from this role not fitting in the story. The players chose that to happen. Yes. Okay. The number one game I have fudged roles with is Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. <laughs> All the way through third edition. Yeah. Number one game I have fudged um, roles with is Dungeons and Dragons because in the core game, without hero points or anything, there is no way for players to mitigate their own bad roles 
when they, you know, feel like it or want to or, you know, critical to the story or whatever. So from time to time, my hand of the GM would nudge some dice. My rule about this is I very rarely fudge a roll in my favor. Almost never. There have been one or two times, but if I fudge a roll, it is almost always in favor of the players to make the story a little more exciting. Maybe it's to break up a um, player who's had a particularly bad streak of roles and they're getting discouraged and they're starting to disengage from the game. So, you know, I might nudge a roll to uh, let them get a hit in, right? To to get them sparked back into the game. Mm I might, um, the role might be close enough and I really want the game to go forward. I don't want it to stymie and I probably maybe shouldn't have called for a role or the game made me call for a role and I'm just, you know, hand wavy to fix it kind of thing. 95% of the time, I'm fudging rolls for players. Once in a blue moon, fudge a roll for myself. In particular, I've done things like escape to grapple when um, the players, if they had gotten the grapple, would have finished off somebody like too quickly pacing wise, yeah, um, that kind of thing. Eh, but I try really hard not to do that. Again, go back to the fact that if players can mitigate their own roles, fuck it. <laughs> like I yeah. am free yeah. from, the, it's, it's not, not on me. Yeah. yeah. It is really interesting. So um, with D&D, in particular, yep. up through three five, really. Yep, absolutely. Um, there is a case um, that I think I had always, um, without necessarily truly thinking about it, because I played a lot of three and three five. I did not run a lot of three and three point five, and I was very lucky that I had GMs that I trusted. But the other part about that is like, I don't actually think that I've personally ever sat down at a D&D table where I didn't assume that fudging the dice for the purpose of the story or any of the other reasons that you've named was not a thing that was on the table, right? Mm-hmm. I'd be really entirely honest as a player, right? Um, and it is actually my preference to play with a GM who will do that, whether you tell me or not. But it is a trust thing because you have to trust a GM who is willing to fudge dice that they're not just doing it to be like, oh, I don't want them to kill my favorite NPC, right? Correct, yes. Right, like there, there has to be, it has to be that collaborative effort that you are making a decision that in whatever way is intended to increase the enjoyment of the game for the table as a whole, or at minimum one individual without negatively impacting other individuals. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So like if you are fudging dice outside of that scenario, outside of a positive collaborative attempt to make the game better, then maybe don't do that. (laughs) um, And I think, I think part of the reason that we talk about fudging over and over (laughs) again, perennially um, is that when the person on the other side of the GM screen, and it's really funny because everything I've just described when I was actually behind in GM screen, I'm not going to lie. I don't think I did a very good job managing my emotions being entangled with how I thought a scene was going to go versus how it actually went and trying to fudge the dice to make the scene fit 
what I thought it should have fit, you know, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Right. And, and it was very early jamming for me. And, you know, since that time, I've learned a lot of things like a, um, the way that I plan needs to be different um, than the stereotype of how a GM plans and the way that I prep and plan for a game can literally just preclude me from getting into a situation in which I feel the urge to fudge a dice. Um, but then on top of that, playing games that um, more willingly give me tools and mechanics um, to support the style of play that I like to run um, puts me in a situation where I don't feel like I'm having to battle my own willpower Right. And I'm also a lot older, right? Like I'm not 18 anymore. Um, and I have better self-control than that. Um, but let's just be real. Like there is an element of if you're rolling dice in a closed situation and you care as a GM what the outcome of that die is, you care about it personally on an, any sort of emotional level, then it takes self-control to not fudge that die when it doesn't do what you want it to do. It just does. Agreed. Right? So anyway, I don't know. I have feels about fudging dice. My feels about fudging dice are that um, uh, as a GM, you should be open about if you are going to or not. And um, you should be really clear about the circumstances under which you would do it. Um, as a player, I prefer to play with people who are willing to do that in games that don't give us the flexibility to to kind of do story fixes or like, you know, make something happen when it just matters to you emotionally. Right. Cause I yep. just don't think that as a collaborative game that we should let randomizer mechanics feels, make someone feel shitty about themselves. Like yep. that's kind of how I feel about it. Anyway. Um, that was a little rambly, but, uh, hopefully I think you made your point. Hopefully I made my point. Yeah. So to go back to JT's question, I'm going to just run through this really quick now that we've sure. kind of had all this discussion. Okay. Um, when do you roll behind a screen? So if I have a screen. Yeah. If, if I have a screen. If I have a screen. If you so sit down it, at a table with me, the chances are like very, very low. <laughs> it depends on the game. Some games I have screens for, some games I don't. And it, so if I have a screen, I'm probably going to roll behind it. Um, and if not, I'm going to roll in the open. Um, I just... I just will. When do I roll in the open? So, so games like Fate, Cortex, things like that. I I typically just roll in the open. In fact, I basically roll my dice next to Chris, who can usually sum up my dice in like my Ox game. I, Chris sits like to the left of me, and I roll my dice. He can usually sum them up faster than I can. Mm -hmm. So he usually just calls out my number for me. Yep. Um, so I will roll in the open almost every time. Um, are there advantages to both? I think we talked about, you know, that first case, if you do want to like prevent some, you know, leakage of meta information, a um, screen is a nice way to kind of prevent that from happening. And uh, again, that thing about hiding a particular role, like a, a, a climactic or tense role is kind of a fun technique. And do I switch it up? No, I, you know what? I will say this. I don't often switch it up. If I start a game, and I have a screen and I'm rolling behind the screen, I pretty much just roll behind the screen. Occasionally, I might lift up the screen and be like, look at this bullshit and show them, you right. know, the rolls. But I actually prefer cheat sheets over screens. So my preference is actually not to have a screen when I play. So I almost, I more often not roll in the open. Yeah, I think the one exception to switching back and forth is something we talked about last time with GM and GMPCs which is 
you might be rolling behind the screen for your roles, but you were always rolling in the open for your PC roles. To be clear, yeah, I had two different sets of dice. Yeah. So Keln, my mm-hmm. GMPC, Keln had his own dice that sat outside the screen. Phil had his GM dice, which sat inside the screen. And so when I rolled for Keln, my hand went outside the screen, rolled the die. Mm -hmm. When I rolled for me, I rolled my dice behind the screen. Yeah. Um, And so that way it wasn't really a switch as much as it was like Keln is a player character. Player characters roll in the open. Sure. But Phil, for, for you as a single being at the table, we could say it's a switch and sure. on a who's rolling basis. It's, yes. uh, yeah, it gets mushy. Um, yeah. The one other thing that I will just say before I think we can just move right on to JST's second question yep. is, um, and I just want to call this out, right? There is a whole other perennial discussion about whether people like having GM screens or not and the personal preferences that go with that and the the like good situations for, for GM screens and then like some of the drawbacks of GM screens. We obviously haven't touched on any of those. <laughs> Which if you want us to. If you want us to, drop us listen, a question. Listen to the end of the show. We'll tell you how to ask us for it. Can I just tell you as a quick aside, sure. the best name for a GM screen came from the original Paranoia game, which had a GM screen that was called the Weir- the Wall of Fear and Loathing. The Wall of Fear and Loathing. Amazing. But... Excuse me, I need to put up my Wall of Fear and Loathing. Paranoia is a... The original I mean, it Paranoia. it has a specific flavor. <laughs> <sighs> it is a game that encouraged you to kill the first player who spoke up as an example to the rest of the players. Yeah, anyway, I mean, well, you, you want to hear more about clones. that, we'll also <laughs> talk about that as well. All right. Let's get on to JT's second question. Sure. So JT's second question was how to properly uninvite players from a group. There are many reasons this might happen, ranging from safety violations to rude behavior to argumentativeness to just plain being a turd in the punch bowl, which is just such a vision. Wow, JT. Thanks, a JT. turd. Why did you have De- to ruin my punch bowl? Definitely um, a writer. <laughs> yeah. How would you handle the uninvite in different scenarios? Yeah, we've I, talked. About I would throw away all of the punch just to be clear. You don't drink the, the punch, punch is gone. Yes, once there's been a turd I'm, in it, I'm not a hundred percent sure I'm keeping the punch bowl sure. after I've thrown away sure. the punch. There's it might be one of those cases where I'm just like, you know, I'm not very attached to this. <laughs> I don't think I could wash it enough. Yes, to not think like, well, well, there was a turd in there here. was a turd in that once, and <laughs> on some molecular level, there still is. There's still turd. Maybe. Right. Maybe, maybe, I, maybe I'm done with this punch I'm bowl I'm pretty forever. sure that punch bowl is a goner. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> in all seriousness. Um, uh, we've actually talked about this in past episodes. Um, so look back in the archives. But uh, because it's probably been forever, it's worth having a discussion again about it. And we're going to talk a little bit about the mechanics. But we're also going to talk about the feelings of uninviting someone from a game group. Because... The mechanics of how to do it are relatively straightforward. Uninvite them from the group. If it was so easy to uninvite people from a group, we wouldn't have a question like this, right? (laughs) And we wouldn't be asking it consistently. And it's not the technique part of Mm -hmm. uninviting somebody from a group that is hard. It is the emotional part of uninviting somebody from a group that is hard. Yeah. So that's what we're going to talk about now. Um, Because we like to put our credentials on, on the table. 
Or at um, least, or at least, position ourselves. I'm not sure this is really ourselves. a credentials. I think this is a calling out the no way, space man. from which we speak. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, we are both people who are conflict averse. Very for different for different reasons in our life. Um, neither of us enjoy conflict so much so that both of us suffer from anxiety about conflict. Yeah. Um, because of that, actually, you and I have great ways of managing, uh, like, expectations, things like that. Like, we have a great mechanism that, because we both dread the idea of having <laughs> conflict. Yes. Yes. So yes. we it's we fantastic. have a great line of communication yeah. that, that, that alleviates such anxieties. But let's go back to that part. We are both conflict averse and the thought of conflict produces anxiety in us. Which anxiety does things like procrastination, avoidance, those kinds of things. Like, yep. because I, I am an ostrich. I don't know about the rest of you, but anxiety makes me an ostrich frequently. Um, I like to run around really fast and then just shove my head as far in the sand as I possibly can. I am a Scarlet O'Hare from Gone with the Wind, mm-hmm. um, who I once, when I first watched the movie, uh, heard the quote, I can't possibly think about that, about that today. I'll mm-hmm. think about it tomorrow. Sure. Yes. Uh, that is how I approach um, anxiety. <laughs> I, it will sneak up on me and I will yep. feel it for a moment. And then I will be like, I possibly, I can't possibly think about that today. I'll think about it tomorrow. And then just like defer all of those feelings, right? Yep. Like just, okay. Nope. Noping right out. Unsubscribe. Correct. <laughs> All right. Now, if that isn't bad enough. <laughs> it gets worse. It gets worse. We are also people pleasers. <laughs> yes. We intensely dislike when people are upset with us or even worse, dislike us. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, let's just be honest. I don't like when people dislike me. Yeah, I even don't even exes like, like or 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 the the being even being unsure if oh. someone does is is yes. oh, even just okayish with me versus not okayish with me. Yep. Um, that'll mess with my head too. That will produce its own set of anxieties, or uh, worse for me, will produce um, a spiral of um. I'm lacking the word um, thoughts that are bad, right? Like I will start to intrusive. Yes. I will start to have intrusive thoughts Mm -hmm. that these people don't like me, uh, that, um, you know, they don't want to hang out with me. They only like things that I do because I produce things, those kinds Mm -hmm. of things, right? So I very quickly... Um, can go from is this person mad to me in my head all the way up to this person clearly hates me and I don't know why they're hanging out in my game. Yeah. And like, and I'm, I am being used to produce content and there is no actual care here. Correct. And if I have done something to cause this, then I would like to undo it, apologize, overdo something else to make amends for the thing that I did, etc. So just to be clear... We're both in therapy. 
So yeah, yeah. in case you were concerned, I, we're, I feel like we talk about this a lot on the yeah, show, yeah. right? Yeah, like we're we're both in therapy, so obviously this is stuff that both of us continue to work on. Um, yes. and it's still not easy, right? But it's better than it was like five years ago. To be clear, mm-hmm. if I was not in therapy. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I could have told you clearly That's all true. of those things. That is really, really true. <laughs> I would have done all those true. things. Yeah. And then but you, I don't think you wouldn't I have been able to say. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. All yeah. right. So that said, we're going to approach having to uninvite somebody from a group from the perspective of people who have anxiety, who are conflict averse, and do not like people disliking us. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's a challenge. It's not fun. It's it's a challenge. I I can't. I I mean, I will, I will say one more thing on this, which is just to be straight up clear. I don't think that this is ever a thing that I have personally pulled off. Well, I will also agree that I don't think I've ever done it. Well, I have had to do it several times. I've done it. Yep. I've been in situations, right? There, there has never been an outcome from me doing this despite best efforts, that I left the situation feeling good about it. 100%. Yeah. Okay. 100%. Okay. All right. So starting with JT's premise, something has happened and somebody needs to be uninvited from your group. Yes. Okay. The situation by which they need to be uninvited, the situation, like the reason why they need to be uninvited. Right, 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 right. Yes will have some effect on your feelings around uninviting them and how urgent it needs to be done. So if, for instance, the reason you have to uninvite this person is because of some sort of flagrant safety violation, like some sort of gross behavior to another player, like they groped a player, they said something super sexist or homophobic or something racist to a player, that's going to be like a lot easier to uninvite them from the group because there is a increased sense of urgency. There is a, this is un like, this is terrible behavior. We can't have this at our table um, that will override anxieties um, whether they like you or not. Like for me, like this would be a very easy way for me to kick somebody out of a table, right? The, yeah. the desire to protect somebody will override my is are my feelings going to be hurt yeah like fuck it like they gotta go i think that's the easiest right like it's terrible but that is a pretty straightforward thing if you are a horrible person at the table and you need to be kicked out you can be kicked out and i don't think there's a bad way you can do it short of getting arrested Right. Like I'm not going to advocate assaulting people, but if you do have to escort somebody off the premises, you know, be careful. Anyway, my point is that one, I think, is pretty straightforward. I want to talk about the other side of it, which is the harder part of uninviting somebody when they are just not a good fit. I I think and I think that's what happens more often. Right. Sure. And it, and it could be a good, not a good fit personality wise. It could be not a good fit in terms of the kinds of games you want to play. It could be not, not a good game. fit, you know, because it's, um, you know, just the, 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 the personalities don't mesh at the table. And like, that's one that comes up. 
Um, like I think some of these challenges are, are also embedded in things like if you have an existing longstanding group and you add someone new to it, right? Not a good fit for the group. Not a good fit for the group. The, whether the, that individual might personally get along with most of the other people in that group or not can become a moot point if they don't end up working out in the the actual established culture of that particular group has already been playing together for five years or something, right? Yeah. So everything else that we're going to say here, keep this piece in mind, right? The reason you need to kick out the person is going to have some effect on your personal feelings, the urgency that you need to kick someone out, etc. I think the part we'll focus on is the bad fit part because it falls under the threshold of where my feelings are, right? Whereas a gross safety violation, like if somebody said something terrible to you in a game, I would escort them out within a, like seconds, no hesitation, right? Like wouldn't even, wouldn't even think twice. I would like literally stop the game and be like, pack up your shit and get out of here, right? right? But if they were just a kind of bad fit and like the game is mostly playable right but, but like it's just a little less enjoyable fun right because they're messing with it a little bit now it's gonna it's be like, hard mm, for me right okay yeah all right so moving past that point but keep that point in mind moving past that point what's the luckiest thing that could happen yeah I, <laughs> this has happened a, a couple of times in 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 has, has happened to me right um in many cases um, the person that's sort of not fitting in or clicking for whatever reason, you're not the only one who notices that there's tension there. Um, they may remove themselves, right? Yeah. Boy, whew, let me just tell you, as a person who doesn't like conflict <sighs> and doesn't like to be disliked, if Boy, somebody's just going to self-select out. Yeah, if they're just going to go. Um, I'm better with that. Uh, it still doesn't leave me feeling good, right? Because the fact of the matter is that if I invited you to my game group, it's because I'm either friends with you or I think that I want to be friends with you. So I'm still not like, I'm still not like doing a little sure. dance if you walked yourself out the door. Um, I, I didn't I, enjoy it. <laughs> I will also feel that I have failed as a host, right? I have failed to host you because I somehow couldn't find the um, middle ground where this all worked, right? Right. Yeah. So I will, I will definitely have felt like yeah. I failed you. And but if, if, if you're not running the game, then there's a little bit less of that. Host yes. Cause I'm but, not your host then. Right. Yes, I'm just like, yes. uh, well, they're not coming anymore. I guess they're not coming. Shrug. Um, yeah. Oh, well, now let me add another dimension to this that makes this all harder, right? Let me pause for a moment. Yes. If the people you game with are also the people in your, your social other circle. social circles, mm -hmm. everything else we say here is instantly more complicated. more difficult. Yes, because now you are dealing with them as a player at the table. You also have a friendship with them outside the table. Now, I will tell you that in my friend group, um, and this is mostly true, and this has been mostly true in my life. If you can't fit at the table you won't last in the social group. Yeah. My social group is predicated around gaming and then does other stuff besides gaming. Like that is how my social group has been built since I moved here in Buffalo. I am approaching my 30th year here. My friend network is all based first on gaming. And then, Hey, do you want to also watch a movie 
um, go out to dinner, whatever, whatever. So if you don't, and, and, and I'm not saying like everybody that I'm friends with, I still game with, but like, nah, that's mostly true. Yeah. I was going to um, say, <laughs> but let, let me just say this. If you like had a family thing and you couldn't play for a while, yeah. um, you would not be out of my social group. No. But if you can't function at the table. Yeah. You're probably out of my social group. Right. Because if you can't mesh with the people in a table culture way, then you're probably not meshing with the people in a social way either. Also, I have a limited amount. Of, I have a limited amount of social time. Yep. It's going it to be game It starts time. with gaming and then everything else is a peripheral to gaming. Okay. Yeah. So everything else that we're saying now also gets complicated by if these people are also, quote, your friends. Like you've been to their wedding. You've done a best man toast for them. Um, they are in your wedding, like all of those things, as is most of my game group. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. Just to be clear, as yes. most of my game group, <laughs> this is the kind of thing, right? Right. Okay. Or, or I will bring up one more thing where if it is either at the table or in a social situation, two of the people specifically have an issue with each other. And then you get stuck in a situation where as a GM, if you're uninviting someone, you're essentially having to pick sides socially. Oh, this is the divorce dilemma. I hate it so yes, much. This is, this is the divorce dilemma. I don't like picked, it. Yeah, you picked <laughs> one side and you've picked, you know, mom or dad. And now. Right. Yes. Um, and, and, and as people who have been divorced, like we both know what that's like to have to divide up friends and things like that. Right. And I basically was like, never mind, I don't have any friends anymore because I can't put any pressure on any of these people to make this decision. See the beginning of our talk. Yeah. Um. <laughs> right. Like, no, it's fine. I'll just live with no friends at all. It, it'll be fine. Luckily, Spoilers. It was not fine. Is, <laughs> luckily, the truth of the matter is it wasn't that you didn't have any friends. You had all different friends. Uh, yes, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, all right, back on track here. Yes. So they don't select themselves out. That that would be by far the easiest because no one had to have a conflict. They took themselves out of the game, but you might still feel bad that they might not like you. Um, or that you had to pick sides them. in the conflict between Correct. two people or right. yeah, anything. You're only getting away from 50% of it. But yes. now that's not the case. Sure. Somebody <laughs> in this group needs to, to uninvite this person actually tell this person there's a problem and they're no longer invited yeah correct next best solution is that someone else in the group is actually good at doing this and yes. that you can get them to do it yes or i just i mean they have to offer or you ask them and you can't don't like cajole them into doing it right you, and you can't order them right no, but if you like, can't be somebody like you is, go tell them to uninvite yeah right but if somebody is like hey I can do this. I'll yeah. uninvite them. Let or, me go have a quick conversation. I'll take care of it. Yeah. Right. Or sometimes if, you know, unofficially in my groups, like if you brought a person to the group and it doesn't work out. It's your job to uninvite them. Your job to get rid of them. Like you brought them in, you get them out. Um, I suddenly uh, feel guilty <laughs> about a situation, but I don't know that that was really the expectation in my group. I mean, yours was, I, anyway, we're not going to talk about that. Like, no, anyway, we're not gonna, we're okay, not get into so, all right, so. Again, there might be somebody in your group who does not have social anxieties that can do this. You might, it might be somebody who like has like a position where they actually fire people and they're like, I can do this for us. Yeah. Okay. Look, there's no law. There's no shame in having someone else in the group do it. And just because you're the GM and the de facto head of the group doesn't mean you have to do every job in the group. No. Like 
this, you know, like if it causes you great discomfort and you have a player who's like, dude, I can totally do this. It's okay. It's fine. I'll deal with it. I work for HR. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like I can, I'll do this. Then let them do it. Right. Like, okay. So if that's the case, you still avoid the conflict. You still have to manage the part where somebody might not like you, but like you survived. Maybe you've definitely survived. (laughs) You're going to survive. You're going to survive. It's okay. Okay. The next worst one is there's no one else in the group that can do it. And for whatever reason, you need to do it. Yep. You're going to have to have the difficult conversation and you're probably going to be disliked. So so much. Let's talk about some ways to deal with that. Now, I'm going to talk about the way that I deal with this most of the time. Yep. Okay. Uh, I mean, look, I'm 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 fine. It I'm works. fine with it because it works. Mm-hmm. And it is within the threshold of what I'm capable of what I was capable of doing years ago. Sure. And that is the passive way to do this, to avoid the conflict, is to kill the game and disband the group. Now, whether the game is really dead and whether the rest of the group is really disbanded is not relevant in the moment right you simply state that you can no longer run this game and that we're going to play like three more sessions and then we're done kind of thing and the game is done and then at another time you and the other players minus the person that you uninvited form a quote new group and start playing again Mm-hmm. And then thus the person that you have uninvited has been uninvited and the rest of you are on your merry way. Works great unless that person is also part of your social group, the person you uninvited. Yeah, because if they're they in your social know. group, they'll know. Yeah, <laughs> they'll and, know from somebody else. And then <laughs> it's like worse because you didn't even have a conversation with them. You just like Correct. snuck around. Now, having said that. Um, there was a game that I also ended up doing this with. Um, and it was a game, frankly, it was a game with a, you know, a bunch of disparate folks that none of us had actually played with before. Um, so it was, it was a little bit more interesting and and the game didn't super get off the ground again afterwards, but, um, you know, we, we did mess around. The passive way works great with casual folk. Yeah. Like it just acquaintances, things like that. It's and a, it was like exactly just, that. Yeah. And it's just, and it's, it's, it's valid. Right. And like you did kind of end the game that you were playing. Not all games are expected to, not all They're games. Not, most games aren't expected to last forever. Right. No. So you just suck it up. And now let me be clear. If the reason you need to kick the person out of the group is because of a safety violation, this ain't it. No. Right? Cause this is, you're kind of dragging things along. You bring it to a conclusion and then you just form a new game without that person. Yes. Like, like that's just, this is the, like, we don't fit and I don't really want to tell you about it. So I'm going to just suck it up. We're going to finish out this game arc mm-hmm. story, whatever. And then, uh, we're going to say goodbye. Yeah. Okay. Yep. All Move right. on. Move cool. on. All right. You can't do that one. Can't do I've done that this. One. I've done that one plenty of times. If you, if that will work for you, I'm not going to tell you not to do it. Go ahead and do it. I've done it plenty of times and like, I've been fine. All right. Okay. So if you have to have the conversation though, right? So the next part of this is it is completely valid for you to do it in a way that will make it 
the easiest for you to get your thoughts out and will make you feel the safest to have this conversation um, and be able to have the conversation from a place of um, from a non-escalated emotional place, because it will be important for you potentially to not be escalated, especially if the other person does get escalated. Right. So that's a thing. Right. So that means it is okay and totally in consideration that you might do this by email or text, right? That mm-hmm. you may not be in a position where you want to have this as a verbal conversation. You need more time to think about, reread, and validate your responses um, and your original message to make sure that they are exactly what you want to say and not conveying anything else. You're not trying to come up with it on the fly kind of thing, right? Yep. Um, you might do this over phone or FaceTime. If you are comfortable doing it by voice, um, but don't necessarily want to share physical space with a person while you do it, that's also super valid. And again, this is about creating a space in which it is safe to actually express these things and be able to manage your own escalation and anxiety in that particular moment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and, and of course, you can always do it face to face. And I mean, I'll say, I think that as gamers, we carry a lot of like, I have to do this face to face because it's rude. Otherwise, like we, we literally treat it like a, a breakup. Yes. Right. Um, and, and I get that. And it's not that it, like if you are in an emotional space where you can do it face to face and that is not going to cause you undue harm. Awesome. Do it face to face. But if you're not. There's, there's not dishonor in maintaining your own mental health and making sure that you feel safe in how you approach the situation. Just, just pick the method that is going to work the best for you. I mean, look, let's be honest here. It's your hobby. It's a hobby. It's supposed to be fun. <laughs> yes. It's oh, supposed man. to be fun. Like, don't, um, don't force yourself to do a face-to-face thing if that's going to cause you crippling anxiety or whatever. Like, Pick one that's more remote. Now, also, let's also preface this by um, considering the concept of, like you said, safety. Yeah. I am a middle age, six foot two, 350 pound man. I can have a face to face conversation with just about anybody um, because I am big. And I have that literally that privilege, right? Um, You might not be as comfortable having that conversation with me if if I was to get upset. Right. If we were in conflict and didn't have our specific negotiations. Oh, yeah, exactly. um, Communication lines, et cetera. But like. If we weren't like the best of friends. If we were like. like If if you were were some random person um, that was an acquaintance of mine, it would be difficult for me to have a challenging conversation with you in person because you can be physically intimidating. Yes. Which is why no one talks to me on an airplane when I get my hair cut any of those things, right? Yeah. (laughs) Like that is like, people don't think about that. Like I know, like when you're on an airplane, like you wind up like talking to everybody in the seat with you. Not everybody. It's about a 50, 50, but sometimes it's no conversation. Sometimes I'm hearing about how the lady next to me just got engaged and it's amazing. And sometimes I'm letting somebody's daughter draw a picture on my iPad and emailing it to them later. Right. Like mine, (laughs) that doesn't happen to you. (laughs) Right. Like no one talks to me. Right. And it is 
a sign of like, it is a sign of just, I, I don't feel like I'm intimidating, but people will, I think well, people. I don't feel think like that I'm your personality is intimidating, but I think with no knowledge, um, especially someone of any kind of marginalization is always going to err on the side of caution. 100%. Cause you're, you're not just like a large physical person. You're also a middle-aged white guy. Correct. Um, and like, you know, there, there's just a, there's a, you know, there's a safety break there, right? Which is just like, 100%. I'm not going to talk to you unless you talk to me first and you seem friendly, at least at minimum. Right. right. So my my point of all this is. Yes. My point yeah. of all this is for people who are listening, you need to consider one, I mean, one, consider it from a safety side, but two, safety side for yourself, but also consider it from a safety side for the other person. Yeah. It is better for me not to force a face-to-face conversation with someone who might feel unsafe with me. Yeah. Then it would be to send an email or have a phone call or a, you know, face like a Zoom call about it. Because at least then my imposingness, right, (laughs) is not a direct factor on them. Yeah. That they will also feel as safe as possible, which is also a consideration. 100%, right? 100%. Um, And it's not one that a lot of people think of. It's not one that I often think about because, again, as a middle-aged white guy, I'll have a conflict with literally anyone. Like, I'll just roll up and be like, I disagree or I don't like that, whatever, whatever. Because society allows me to do that, right? Yeah. In, In relative safety. In relative safety, right? I mean, there's obviously reasons where I won't do that or it's not safe or whatever. Like, I don't walk around like I'm, you know, impervious. But, you know, I will, I can feel free to complain about my service almost anywhere. Um, But doesn't mean I should. Yeah. Right? And so consider both sides of uninviting somebody. Consider what it might be like to be uninvited by you, as well as the act of, uninviting somebody like being with them and decide what the best middle ground is in terms of media medium to do this in sure yes yes agree yeah and you can also um you can also temper that with things like if you're going to do face-to-face do face-to-face public yeah yeah, right. Like sometimes people will feel more <laughs> yeah. like sometimes people will feel more comfortable if it's like face to face, but it's in a Starbucks. Right. Like, yeah, because because like, then nobody's going to attack me in a Starbucks or whatever. 100%. Yeah. Right. So we're not going to get to a yelling kind of situation because we're in Starbucks. Right. So just like keep all of those things in mind, but also have the awareness to think about the other person and how it's going to be perceived by them, which brings me to the next point here. If you got to do this, the best way to do it is be clear, to the point, and kind. Okay? Now, again, take the safety thing off the table. If somebody said something gross to you at the table, kind is not going to be one of my um, choices as I'm escorting them out the door. Okay? But going back to just the turd in a punch bowl, be be kind. Okay? (laughs) When you're uninviting them is not the time you need to blame them for any of their their behaviors. It's not a time to create a litany of things that you don't like about the person. The goal here is just to get them not to be in the group anymore. It is not necessarily to shame them into leaving the group, right? Yes. So let me just give you an example of how I might do it. 
And again, let me clarify, I have never done this. <laughs> yeah, right? Yes. My own anxieties <laughs> and social issues preventive have prevented me to date from achieving what I'm about to say. So this is literally do as I say, <laughs> not as I go do. back 10 minutes to the passive way, which is what I've normally <laughs> done. But in if theory, I had to do it, you know, if I had to do it today where I am far more aware of myself and have a far more of my shit in check, yes, it would sound like this. I'm sorry. I have to ask you to leave the gaming group. I don't think your style is matching up with the styles of the rest of the group, myself included. And I don't think there's a way to get them in alignment. So I think the best solution for us is just not to play together anymore. Mm -hmm. Comma, for this game, forever. For, yeah, what's the... Whatever, you know, like yeah. you can couch that depending on like, maybe they just suck at playing sci-fi games and you could get them back for the next fantasy game or maybe right. you never want to play with them. Like you fix the ending the way you need to. Yes. Okay. That's like, that's all you need to do. Your goal is to just uninvite them from the group. It's not to be like, and you're loud, you talk over people, you could stand to take a shower before a game, you're, you chew too loud, you're, you know, you hog the spotlight, you're a shitty player, you don't understand the rule. Like, who does that? Like, it, they're going to no. feel bad enough they're getting uninvited. Yes. Let alone, like, now you're just dogpiling on them, right? Like, that's just mean. Well, that it's not only mean, but it is also far more likely to get a defensive response. Yes. Which when someone is uninviting you from a game, like, let's you're be real. You're already on the you're defensive. You're already feeling pretty defensive, probably, about yes. whatever it is. So giving them a litany of reason, more reasons to be defensive is going to escalate more conflict in this situation than is probably necessary. Now, the caveat to that is if the next beat of that conversation is they say to you, is there something in particular, something I could work on, something I could change, something that for the next group or whatever, yeah. and you can still be kind, be kind, yep, be kind, you could provide some things like, well, you know, we're um, when it comes to spotlight, like we like to share and pull people in and like we just, you know, I don't feel like you um, I don't feel like you really do that. You tend to like try to center scenes on yourself and just have it be about your character or whatever. And like, we're more of a troop, less of like a, you know, single star kind of thing. Like be kind, but only offer it if asked. It's like when you get fired, right? Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. if you want to ask why you got fired, sure. that's great. Yeah. Um. Otherwise just get fired. Um. So I So I want to mention something else, yep. and this is actually really key, because as you've been saying the words that you would use to demonstrate one of these situations, one of the other things you have been doing is modulating yourself to be extremely de-escalated and calm mm -hmm. in the theoretical response situation, right? Yeah. And that is also key, because yeah. if if you escalate emotionally they will escalate emotionally too, because why should they manage their emotions? They're getting kicked out of the group. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I will, I will tell you a story. Um, I, just to be clear, I also haven't actually done this. <laughs> let me, let me, I'll, I'll tell you a story. How I, tell me the story. I'm going to tell you a story that's only tangentially related to this, but it has to do with um, 
approach voice modulation and stuff like that. Sure. Yes. Good. It's how I actually quit grad school. Mm-hmm. So um, I had a boss in grad school who was prone to yell at grad students. Oh, yeah. um, and uh, eventually it came around my way. Um, there was some stuff that had been done. I had made uh, a couple of mistakes in um, prepping some stuff. And my boss yelled at me for 45 minutes, took out my lab notebook, went through it, yelled at me, like with everyone else around, right? Like there were people in the lab and for 45 minutes straight came at me on everything and just, you know, this isn't right. What are you doing? Are you, you know, on and on and on and on. And about 20 minutes into being yelled at, I was like, I'm getting the fuck out of here. Like, I'm just quitting grad school. I'm not putting up with this bullshit. This is ridiculous. And I will say this, that grad school has a history of abusive behavior um, from um, mentors to students um, as just a culture of like, well, my boss was shitty to me. I'm shitty to you. I feel like we should also clarify, cause I'm going to step in on your behalf here and say, I don't think that this was truly the start of your misery in grad school, but I do think that it was the pinnacle. Oh, it was the day <laughs> that I went from, should I keep trying harder? Yeah. To, to fuck this. Yes. I'm digging a tunnel. Yeah. Right. Um, so, and that had everything to do with modulation. If my boss had looked at that and been like, oof, there seems to be some mistakes here. Let's sit down. Let's go through them. Let's try to figure out what your root cause is for this. And let's talk about how, you know, like, let's talk about we, from a growth perspective, yeah, how, do we how can we solve this? Like, what is it? Like, let me give you some tidbits about technique or organization or whatever that you're missing that will solve this problem. Yeah. Right. If we had had that discussion, no problem. I'd probably be a PhD today. Yeah. Right. Like I probably would have stuck it in there because I would have had a boss that would have been like, I'm here to make you a better scientist. So when we run into problems, let's find out why they are. Let's solve them together. That is not what happened in those 45 minutes. No. I was shopping for jobs that night. Yeah. And you so. are a project, a project manager. <laughs> And now I'm a project manager today. I'm not sad about that route, but let me tell you that I know the moment based on getting berated by an adult, an adult I towered over to be clear. Like my boss was this small woman, like I towered over her, but the way she spoke to me was so insulting to me that, and so bereft of kindness yeah. that I was just like, I will not do this any longer. And so to go back to your point about being kind and about modulating voice and stuff like that, you could say the lines that I said before in a very hostile way. You really could. Yeah. And it will feel awful to the <laughs> person you say it to. Yes. And you can say it in a way that is with as much empathy and, and kindness as possible that will soften what is already going to be an awkward moment between the two of you. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I don't know if we have to talk any, I have the notes here about talking about um, handling our anxiety and feelings, but I feel like. I feel we, like we, we kind of covered a lot of it. And yeah. It, if you, 
I'll say this. If you, because we're, I know where we are on the clock as well. If yep. you have any further questions for us about um, gaming with anxiety, gaming with, you know, uh, like social issues like that, that fit into the wedge of things that we feel comfortable that we can address. Yeah. We'll, we can throw, have a further. Throw them at us. We'll figure out if they fit into the things that we feel like we can personally speak to. Um, yeah, we're, we're not, way. we're not experts on mental health. We're just two people it. who, who just are living, in a lot of living therapy. some of it, yeah. <laughs> yes. But if it fits into our slice. Sure. We'll share our experiences. Yes. Okay. Um, which then I think we've handled uh, our question for JT about um, how to uninvite people. I we talked agree. about techniques and yep. we talked a lot about feelings, but I think that's, <laughs> I think that's what you get from us nowadays. <laughs> yes. Good. Okay. In order for us to get to the closing, Senda, please tell me um, about another show on the network. Sure. Um, on the Gnomecast, several gnomes from Gnomes do get together and talk about gaming topics and themselves in an effort to entertain you and avoid being thrown in the stew. And funnily enough, you can actually hear J.T. Evans himself on the Gnomecast um, occasionally as well because he is a gnome. Also true. Yeah. Excellent. It, that just happened to line up. Yeah, perfect. That's just, brilliant. you know. Yes. That's excellent. Say, Senda, where do people find us on the internet? Well, you can find us on Twitter still at Pandas Talk Games. You can find us um, on the Misdirected Mark forums, which is forums.misdirectedmark.com. You can find us on Mastodon um, on the Dice.camp um, server. Uh, we are at Idella Mithland and at DNA Phil. You can find us on TikTok under those exact same names. Um, maybe someday I'll make an actual podcast thing yeah, for yeah. those and things. I might get we'll there. I'm, uh, right. At least TikTok. Right. But, but I haven't gotten there yet. Anyway. We'll basically just repost Panda uh, videos. <laughs> but they're so cute. Um, yes. And then I'm sure there's somewhere else that you can find us that I got distracted and forgot about. You can drop us an email. Panda at misdirectedmark.com. If you prefer that methodology um, and Phil, once they have one of those places or ways to get a hold of us, what can they do with that information? Yeah, just like JT uh, did for us this week. Send us some questions, send us some topics. Uh, again, they can be uh, completely new things. They could be that you just want us to follow up on a previous episode. I'm just give you a hint. If it's going to be a follow up on a previous episode, please tell us the episode number. Oh, so we can figure out what the <laughs> heck we said. Yeah. Yes. At the very least, we can go back yep. and listen to the episode and see like, oh, yeah, because oh, yeah. I trust me. We do this week to week. We do not remember do what we talk about. Yep. Nope. Okay. Anyway, send us a topic, a question, a comment, something you would like us to apply our experience our knowledge, our expertise to, to help you um, make your games more better fun, right? Um, quick equation here, more better fun. If your games are more better fun, you will run more games, you will play more games, people will get to play more in your games. You may run different games, new games, more games. All of that adds up to staying in the hobby for a long time and all the benefits that come from staying in the hobby for a long time. I know because I have been in this hobby mm. for a long time and there are a lot of benefits to it. I want those things for you. So we will help your games produce more better fun. You have to do the work. All we're, we're like consultants. <laughs> we'll just, we're, just we're like the yeah. shitty consultants that every hire, every company hires, except that we're actually good at what we do. Yeah, um, you, you no offense if you're one of those consultants. Many, but much like, monies. Yeah. 
Correct. Um, we're the bobs of role playing. We're going to come in and um, evaluate your role playing game. Senda doesn't get that joke because she's never seen Office Space, Correct. but the rest of you understand that wow. we're the bobs of role playing. Okay. Anyway, I still like that, car talk better personally, but anyway. It's probably a better fit. Anyway, <laughs> if you like what we do here elsewhere on the Misdirected Mark Network, consider supporting our Patreon campaign. Go to patreon.com slash MMP. You're going to get access to the Slack room for life. That's a big deal. Uh, a lot of fun people, cool people, r- different channels to talk about different things in from cooking to role playing to um, media stuff. I don't know. I don't even pay attention to all the uh, channels in there. There's a bunch of them. Um, so go in there and uh, talk to hosts, talk to other listeners, like have fun. Join our Friday Zoom call. You can come out and just see what, you know, Phil's eating for lunch. Hint, it's probably McDonald's. Um, it's like my guilty pleasure treat every other Friday. Anyway, um, you get all that stuff at higher tiers. You get access to the children of the shroud uh, material from our actual play. That includes some of our campaign notes, things like that. I do a like 10 to 15 minute uh, segment called behind the screen uh, where we talk about the, I talk about the adventure after I've written it before I run it. So, and then Chris drops it after it's been run. So you can actually hear the actual play and then you can hear me talk about some aspect of prepping that game and what was going behind it. And then you can actually figure out how much of it actually fit, like what actually got done versus what actually happened in the game. Um, And at the, I think at another level, there's uh, design materials like games that we're putting together, building and things like that, like Chris's lamplighter system. Okay. That is uh, all the stuff you get for joining the Patreon. What we get is hosting costs and storage, mics, cables, all of that stuff. Stuff that helps us produce our shows that you hear week to week. So we thank you for that very much. If you're already back in the Patreon campaign, thank you very much. If you're unable to back the Patreon campaign, we understand completely. There is one more thing you can do. Involves a little bit of your time and Sunday's going to tell you exactly what that is. Yeah, you could leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcast or the podcatcher of your choice. Every new review we get really does theoretically at least help people find the show. But you can also just pinpoint an actual human that you think would enjoy this show or like who comments on social media and is like, um, you know, usually people are like, what RPG podcasts are you listening to that are like system agnostic or that aren't actual play or, you know, whatever that we fit into. And if you think we're a good fit, let them know. We really appreciate that. And it's pretty cool. And it makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. And we also know that many of you listening are a direct result of people recommending us to you personally and specifically and have like gone through on a wild tear and listened to like 300 episodes straight through, which is mind boggling to me. Heroic is what that is. Heroic. It is truly a heroic effort. So anyway, thank you so much to everybody. Um, who's listening, has left a review, will leave a review, and has told a friend. Um, We appreciate all of you so very, very much. Um, Yes. Indeed. Say, Senda, um, do you want me to roll tonight behind the GM screen? (laughs) I don't know how to take that. This show is a joint production of She's a Super Geek and Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs.
Hello, click, 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 click. Oh, do 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 do. All right, I just heard your mower for a second, but I think it's mostly it's gone. in the front. Yeah, it's as far away as it can be. Sorry, Ryan. Long guys are. <laughs> we we were about building. about to hit record, and then suddenly, right under the window, and we're like, ah, uh, maybe we'll wait a couple minutes. <laughs> Bloop. All right, I got ribs that are ready to go in the oven. Yeah, we gotta so, go. We gotta, we gotta go, 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 go. go. All right, mm-hmm. so um, with no further ado, let's get this episode uh, started up. Let's do our uh, Ryan countdown and quiet time. Are you ready? Yes. Bloop. Boom, boom. Bloop. Show me what you got. 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 Bloop. I feel like in Cortex, you're required to roll first and I get to know what your number is, right? It depends. It depends not, on the Not all the depends time, on the all the time, right? But like... If I'm setting the difficulty for a roll. That's what I'm talking about. Yes. Difficulty. I don't actually use a GM screen for Cortex. I mean, we're, we're also just, online, so it's not like I will see your rolls without no, you specifically but we just have to stick to the bit. Yes. 